Father, thanks for this time. Thanks for the privilege of coming together as a group of men who seek to uh, follow hard after your son. So, Father, uh, teach us what it means to uh, uh, be on mission. Teach us to be a part of your mission, Father. And give us uh, hearts and eyes of compassion that look on others as you look on them. Father, again, we're just grateful for the privilege of uh, gathering as a group of men. And may this time uh, transform us so that we can be used by you to uh, transform our community. Pray these things in your son's powerful name. Amen. Okay, guys, so welcome to the first December summit. You know, we've never had summit that's gone past uh, Thanksgiving, to the best of my knowledge. So, uh, you know, I'm delighted to see uh, a few of you still wandering in. It's great to uh, uh, have a chance to finish up. This study was divided up into 12 sections, and so we just felt like that uh, um, each week built on the previous week, and it was too good to try to uh, cram it all into 10 weeks. So here we go. We got this week, and we'll finish up next week. Uh, um, we ought to have some uh, special food to serve next week, so that'll be fun. And uh, uh, so come hungry, and uh, we'll have a chance to next week dive into the end times. But today we're talking about mission. And, you know, I loved a couple of the things that uh, Duvall said uh, in the workbook. Um, one of them was that God is a missionary God, and he wants us to join him in that mission because he first sent his son uh, to rescue uh, sinners and those who were lost. Uh, and then he sent his spirit to help uh, that body of believers that came around Christ to serve others. And now he's sending us. He's sending his church uh, in the form of you and me, all who believe in his son. And so what is the mission? And it's the classic mission. I mean, you think about mission and you think about uh, any war movies you've seen like Black Hawk Down or things like that. You know, what was the compelling part of Black Hawk Down? Well, it was the rescue. It was uh, uh, Randy Shugart and Gary Gordon uh, fast roping into a situation that they probably weren't going to come out of because they went to try to rescue one of their guys that was still left behind. And so, you know, it is a classic mission. And so how do we do that? We do it by going and making disciples as... Um, Duval talks about in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Uh, we teach them to obey Jesus' commands. And even more importantly, we have a chance to see needs and to respond as Christ would with compassion. Compassion is used like 13 or 14 times in the Gospels. And it is typically Christ looking on a scene and viewing it with compassion. And that's what we're to be like. But... Duval includes a couple of cautions. He says that the Western church has grown too dependent on words and not nearly dependent enough on the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead of being a community that de demonstrates the Lord's power, we've become one that talks incessantly. You know, we talk the talk, but the question is, do we walk the walk? And I also love John Piper's comment on page 168 in your books. And it's one that we need to not only understand, but it's one that we need to embody and that we need to make sure that we never forget. And he said that mission is not the ultimate goal for either the church or for you and me. 
Well, that sounds kind of funny since we're talking about mission today, but he makes the great point that worship is what's important. Mission is for this earth, and it's temporary, but worship is eternal, and it's going to abide forever. So let's take a look at our mission, and today we're going to see what Scripture says about mission, and we're going to then have a chance to see something that I think really captures um, on the big screen what mission really looks like. And then uh, I've got a mission uh, for you guys uh, that we can undertake on our own. So let's start by uh, uh, reading the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke 10, 25 through 37. And uh, if you have um, your Bibles here, let's uh, open to that. And otherwise, we've got it here on the screen for you. And a lawyer stood up. It's always a hard beginning. Uh, and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a pretty good question, though. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? You know, Christ being the master teacher, he answers a question with a question and asks the uh, lawyer what he thinks. What does uh, uh, he know that the law says? And the lawyer answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, uh, Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Uh, do this and you'll live. But wishing to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an end and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. You know, the Lord, when he answers and says uh, to the lawyer, hey, you've answered this correctly, he uses the word orthos. That's the word from which we get orthodox. And it means uh, uh, correct or straight or right. And, you know, the Lord to the first uh, answer adds the, the point that, hey, it's not just enough to know the answer to this question, but now you have to do it and you'll live. And I think the lawyer even uh, felt that, hey, you know, I don't know that I can do that all the time. Or maybe that lawyer was a self-righteous guy like most lawyers are. Speaking as one, I think I uh, certainly uh, have a chance to know that uh, and have embodied it before. But, uh, you know, lawyers always think that they're right. And so he then presses his luck and he says to Jesus, well, you know, who is my neighbor? And so um, Jesus, uh, in answering that question, never really specifies directly who our neighbors are. Instead, he really redefines the question, and he uses a parable to answer 
Uh, instead, how are we to treat our neighbors? You know, the lawyer asked two questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Who is my neighbor? Two great questions. But he was seeking to justify himself instead of really trying to get down to the truth. And in answering the question, Jesus really shows us that anyone in need is our neighbor. So let's take a look at three aspects of uh, this parable. I want to talk about uh, the parameters of it. I want to talk about the players. And then I also want to talk about the point. So the, the parameters, we've got a slide up here that will show the uh, uh, Jewish social structure. And you can see they're kind of concentric circles that work from the uh, um, inside. You've got priests uh, on the inside, and those are the most righteous people. And as we go further away, we get to uh, less and less righteous people. And so, you know, we've got the priests and the Levite, and, you know, Joseph Jew, I guess, would be uh, uh, equal to Joe Public, just the ordinary guy. And, but then when you go outside the ordinary guy, you start to see tax collectors and outcasts and sinners. And then you get to the Samaritans who really were uh, as hated as uh, anybody could be, almost on a par with the Gentiles. And so you really see there are three circles of acceptable folks, the priests, the Levites, and the ordinary Jew. And then you have three circles of the outer circles or the folks who were the unacceptable um, members of Jewish society. And this is important because the lawyer's question is really asking, how far out in these circles do I have to go, uh, do, do I have to be neighborly to the people? Uh, do I, okay, I get being neighborly to um, the first three circles, but do I have to be neighborly to the tax collectors? Do I have to be neighborly to the outcasts and sinners? And, oh, surely I don't have to be neighborly to Samaritans or Gentiles. Um, but ask yourself, when you're thinking about where Jesus camped out, what circles did he run around with? And I think you'll see that he was one who camped out with the margins of society. And so let's take a look at the players in this little drama. We've got six players. Uh, we've got the uh, man traveling down. We've got the robbers. We've got the religious leaders who are um, um, the priests and the Levite. We've got uh, the Samaritan. And then we have the innkeeper. And so in uh, looking at this, there are really four major characters. We've got the robbers, we've got the religious leaders, and uh, two of them. And then we have the Samaritan. And we've got two minor ones. The victim really doesn't play a big role other than being the victim. And then we've got the innkeeper as well. And so let's look at the, the robbers first. These were the unrighteous guys, clearly. They were the bad guys in the scene. And so, you know, this story would have just been compelling uh, to the first century audience because they knew that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It, went, it descended about 3,000 feet going down from Jerusalem, and it was rocky, and there were all sorts of places where bad guys might hide, and they knew it was a bad stretch of road that... Uh, uh, was very dangerous. And what, what else do we know about the robbers? Well, there was more than one, so uh, our man traveling was outnumbered. And they, they first, they stripped him. Clothes were a valuable commodity in those days. And then they beat him, and uh, they left him half dead, the uh, Greek says. And um, they really represent the unrighteous. And their attitude was, 
what, what is yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. And so then the, the second set of uh, players in this, the priests and the Levite, really do the same sort of thing. And so they are walking along, and, um, you know, the first thing it says is that they saw him. And what did they do when they saw him? Well, they didn't go, they didn't look on him with eyes of compassion. They went as far away as what the Greek indicates as possible from this guy lying half dead in the road. And you know, guys, if I'm honest, I can really empathize with the priest and the Levite. You know, if I'm really telling you the truth, I'm on a journey, I've got something to do, I've got somewhere to be. In fact, um, they did a little test in uh, a seminary class uh, I heard about last night having dinner with some friends. And so they had uh, all these seminary students lined up to preach. And um, on the way for uh, where they would have to go by, uh, on their way to you know do their preaching, uh, there was someone who desperately needed assistance. And you know, the funny thing is that none of those seminary students in this class stopped to render assistance because they all had to be somewhere to go uh, teach a lesson. You know, guys, if I ask myself honestly, would I be that guy who will stop? You know, I'm not sure. And so those guys represented an attitude of what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. And then finally, you have uh, the Samaritan come along, and he represented the hated enemies of the Jews. You know, uh, today we've kind of lost that feeling about how hated the Samaritans were. But this would be like an Al-Qaeda terrorist stopping to render aid to a hurt American soldier. I mean, this is just something that would not happen. And so, you know, the, the Jews in Jesus' audience, when they heard this, man, they did a double take when they heard him say that the hero of this story is a Samaritan. And so what did the Samaritan do? He did the same thing that the priest did. He saw him, but instead of passing by on the other side, he looked on him with eyes of compassion. He felt compassion and in the Greek, it's, it's beautiful because it says that he moved towards the victim instead of uh, the way that the priests and Levites moved away from the victim. Okay, and what did he do? He used his own resources. Uh, he used bandages. He put oil on the wound to soothe the wound. He put wine on the wound to disinfect it. And he also... Uh, uh, put the guy on uh, his donkey or uh, his beast of burden. And then probably more importantly for us today, what did he do? He took his time. He took his efforts. He's on a journey, and he diverted himself from his own journey to go serve this guy. And then, you know, he also spent his money. Now, I don't know about you. I hear the, the uh, phrase, two denarii, and I go, okay, you know, that's like two dimes. Well, no, it really wasn't. A denarius represented a, a day's wage. So take what you made last year and divide it by 365, 
And uh, think about giving that away to the next homeless guy you see on the corner. And I sit there and uh, I think about that myself and I go, wow, that's a lot of dough to be just given away to some guy lying on the street. And even more, this two denarii represented a huge sum to the innkeeper. The typical Motel 6 in Jericho charged something like a twelfth of a denarius. Okay, so this guy, the Samaritan, was paying for 24 days, three and a half weeks worth of stay uh, for this stranger that he just met. I don't know about you guys, but I have never reached into my pocket like that to give to somebody that I didn't know. And, you know, even more importantly, he told the innkeeper, said, hey, if you spend anything else, I'll cover it when I come back through here. And, you know, um, the innkeeper was likely a Jew, because he was in, um, likely in Jericho. And uh, um, so this Samaritan was basically giving his MasterCard number to somebody who was his, his enemy and saying, whatever you need, whatever you spend on this guy, whatever you need to do to take care of him, I'll pay you. Pretty amazing. And so the last thing, we've talked about the uh, parameters, what society looked like. We've talked about uh, uh, the players in this little drama. Now let's talk about the point. And, you know, the point is that anyone who is in need is our neighbor. And so, you know, if you look at the parable, you can ask yourself the question, who was in the ditch? Well, a Jew was in the ditch. Uh, likely uh, the uh, hearers that uh, uh, in Jesus' audience would assume that this was a Jew that Jesus was talking about. And so what did he have to do to get out of the ditch? Well, he had to trust a despised Samaritan to help him. And who paid the price? The Samaritan paid the price. And you know, we can ask ourselves the same question today in the personal application. Who's in the ditch? Well, before we believe in Christ, you and I are in the ditch. And what does it take to get out of that ditch? We have to put our trust in someone who the world despises. And who pays the price for us to get out of that ditch today? Obviously, Jesus does. And if you, the next slide shows John 8, 48 through 51. And this is something I didn't realize until I was getting ready for this talk. I'd never put this together, but... There, the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? They're calling Jesus a Samaritan. And have a demon? And Jesus answered, I don't have a demon. You notice he didn't deny that uh, he was a Samaritan. Um, obviously he wouldn't, but he, he doesn't address that part of uh, their accusation. But I honor my Father and you dishonor me. But I don't seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word... He will never see death. And so who is that Samaritan that gets us out of the ditch? Well, it's Christ. And the bottom line is that the lawyer asked who his neighbor was, but Jesus teaches him that our neighbor is anyone in need. And through this parable, Christ teaches us today that what we have to do to inherit eternal life is to believe in the only one who's able to rescue us from that ditch. And you know, the the amazing thing is that when we live with a heart of compassion that seeks to serve others in need, then we'll be transformed more than even the people we help. 
And so what do you have to do to do that? Well, first, you have to develop eyes of compassion, eyes that see needs. And then you have to have margin in your life to be able to respond to those needs. And finally, you have to have the heart to be willing to serve others. And you know, um, I saw a movie the other day that I think embodies in a powerful sort of way what mission looks like. Because these people um, took on a mission. They showed compassion in an unbelievable sort of way. So let me show you the trailer of this movie. Up and at them. Sean Jr., you clean this room up before you come downstairs, you hear me? Okay, big smile. Chewy family. Let me get it, y'all. Everyone, thank your mother for driving to the store and getting this. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mama. She's been enrolled in seven different institutions, including a gap of 18 months around the age of 10, when he apparently didn't attend school at all. I tell you, most kids with his background wouldn't come within 200 miles of this place. Class, this is Mike Orr, and he's new here, so I expect you all to make him feel welcome. Hi. Smile at him. It lets them know you're their friend. I'm sure. Who is that, Esther? Big Mike. What is he wearing? It's below freezing. Do you have any place to stay tonight? Don't you dare lie to me. Idea. What's the big deal? It's just for one night. It is just for one night, right? Find some time to figure out another bedroom for you. This is mine? Yes, sir. Never had one before. What, a room to yourself? A bed. It's all good and that's what you're doing, but don't be surprised if one day you wake up and he gone. Michael's here. Last night. Tell him to sleep with one hour. You threaten my son. You threaten me. changing that boy's life. And what did Sandra Bullock say? She said, no, he's changing mine. You know, uh, one of uh, Sandra's quotes about that movie is that I have finally met a family that walks the walk. And guys, that's what we're called to be. We're called to be people that, you know, know the right answer like the lawyer did. But we're called to be people that walk the walk. And so, you know... I don't know if there's a Michael Orr out there uh, for you uh, to take under your wing, but there are plenty of Michael Orr sort of situations out there that uh, uh, are crying out for help. And so that's what we're called to do, to be willing to walk the walk. And I've got a mission for us today. As you guys walk out, you know, we maintain a military ministry prayer calendar here at Watermark for 
the 80 or 90 guys and girls in the military that have some connection with Watermark. And so as you walk out, uh, there are going to be guys there uh, who will pass out the military ministry prayer calendar. And uh, I want to call you guys to a mission, uh, a mission to uh, be willing to pray this month for the guys on that list. There are two or three names every day. And that you would just commit to uh, spend some time each day praying for the men and women who are protecting our freedom. And if you're so inclined, if you're so motivated, if you want to be that family in the lives of uh, the Michael Ors on that page, you know, uh, write them a note. Uh, if you'll uh, send me an email, I'll get you addresses of uh, names of guys on that list that you can write a note to or send a care package to and just let them know that we're thinking about them as they are far from home defending our freedom. So, guys, I'm calling you to that mission to be willing to, uh, um, at the very least, spend time in prayer daily this month praying for folks who are protecting us. We've got uh, a big responsibility. God trusts us to be part of his mission. And yet he equips us with his spirit, with the teaching of his word, and with uh, um, men um, that you can do life with in groups like this, uh, to be willing to undertake that mission. Father, thanks for this time, and thanks for calling us and for letting us be a part of your mission. Father, you could use rocks to do a better job than I could do in doing that, and yet, Father, you, you allow us to have the privilege of serving with you on the missions you call us to. So, Father, let us be a group of men who um, see with eyes of compassion and who have hearts that seek to serve others. Pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.